You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Wow, this is going to be a fun series, I think, and we're going to be living it up. You'll see on your, um, if you didn't sit on a sparkler, um, we do want you to take those and try to invite someone along here to invite to home huddles, etc. We're going to be uh, in this series for eight weeks. I'm excited about it, and you'll see um, different testimonies of different individuals over time, just like we had with Katie. You're going to learn a lot, I think, and we are trying to be what the early church was, which I think God wants us to always be. So the first passage, we're going to be kind of touring through the book of Acts to an extent, as well as seeing different passages that fit in with um, our key passage, which we'll get to later in the sermon, which is Acts 2, 42 to 47. So you can um, see the, the, um, on the U version of the Bible, if you put in our zip code, 33928, you can get, um, under the events, you can get all the notes for this sermon today, okay? And you can even take some more notes if you want. And uh, later this week, I know why it'll have um, the sermon up online through our app on Tuesday, okay? And are we live streaming too? Woo, hey. <laughs> Not sure who's all there, but uh, I think last week, actually, I know Nikki Collin watched from up in Connecticut. She's a, uh, she is a assistant coach for the WNBA team, the Connecticut Sun. And so, um, you know, she's away from home. And yet, she's still connected to us, which is great, okay? Now, we're going to look at Acts 1, 1 through 8, to start out this week, and it's look up. So Luke wrote um, the Gospel of Luke, huh? Yeah, with his name. And then he also wrote this book, Acts, okay? And he starts off, in the first book, O Theophilus, that's the gospel, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, you know, I used to believe, and I still think I live within this framework, and this is what I want all of us to change, at least a part of the framework. I used to believe that Jesus Christ accomplished everything, which I believe he did, through his death and resurrection, and then he ascended into heaven, and as a kid I said, okay, so he ascended into heaven, he sits at the right hand, like we would say in the Apostles' Creed, and now we wait for him until he comes again. And so this in-between time, we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're basically waiting to be beamed up in one form or another because there's no intelligent life down here, <laughs> but that Jesus did everything, and so all we can do is maybe share what he did back then, 
and share what he taught back then and hope that people see the relevance of it for today. That is not the way Luke understands it at all. I don't know if you caught this in that first verse. Look at that first verse if you have it before you. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Did you catch that? So the first book is what he began to do, which means the book of Acts is what Jesus continues to do and teach. And now he is doing it through his disciples. He's working through them, and he keeps doing it. In fact, I believe it was in the Gospel of John when he's in the upper room with the disciples and he has this long discourse. He says, you're going to even do greater things than I do because I go to the Father and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And he preps them for it, okay? So that's all going on. But the book of Acts is what Jesus continues to do, which means then that a disciple is, what is a disciple? A disciples are those who continue to do and teach what Jesus did and taught. Now, I was never taught that as a kid. I thought being a disciple meant I believe these things and I get this information and then I parrot it back and everything's good, right? A disciple is someone who just knows stuff. But what we see in the book of Acts, as Jesus continues to work through his disciples, doing a lot of the same things he did, and they're teaching that a disciple is one who does what Jesus did and teaches what Jesus taught. And I think that's still true today. So I guess it begs the question, what did Jesus do? Okay, you know, not what would Jesus do right now, but what did Jesus do and how did he live and how am I supposed to live in response to that? And I think we sum it up here. We've talked about this many times. So this is kind of a summary sermon of who we are and what we believe. We're about what's maybe a little more unique about Thrive. And that is it's summarized in three words in Jesus' life, up, in, and out. Okay? Jesus lived up, in, and out. And what we mean by that is, first of all, Jesus looked up and he looked to his Father. He prayed. And if you read in the Gospel of Luke, if you read through it, I mean, you find him praying all the time. In fact, he prayed, it says in the Gospel of Luke, when he started his public ministry and he was baptized by John in the Jordan River, it says he was praying. While that was going on and the Holy Spirit came upon him and he was called the Son of God, the one who was sent, okay? So he prayed. Later on in Luke chapter 6, it says that he prayed all night, okay? He prayed all night. It says that in these days, Luke 6, 12 to 13, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued to pray a prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. So out of the many disciples who were following him, he got 12 of them by praying through the night. And I bet he was praying by name for each one of them. I bet he was, I mean, that's a long time to pray, but that's what he was doing. He was always finding what was true of the Father. In fact, in the Gospel of John, it has an intimate way of talking about it. Instead of just like he prayed and we don't have the content, we see that Jesus found his entire identity, his direction, everything from outside of himself and his Father. And in such a way that when 
the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders were questioning, what are you doing and why are you doing this? He would respond like in John chapter 5, he says, my father is working until now and I am working. So whatever the father's doing, I'm doing. And he said it even to the point where they considered it blasphemous because later on when he was talking to them, he said in John chapter 10, I and the father are one. They were so united that there was no division between what the father wanted and did and what the son wanted and did. He would do anything his father. He found his entire identity outside of himself, his destiny, his direction. He was sent. You will never find a time when Jesus isn't really always contingent and dependent on his father. And that's why he could handle the pressures and the changes in his life. Now, I love this um, video I saw a couple of, Last week, I guess, we had two um, divers on our American team. I don't know if you know David Budia, I believe his name, and Steele Johnson. And they um, got the silver in synchronized diving. And afterwards, they had this little video uh, that was taped by NBC and it was broadcast. I think we've got it right. David and Steele, congratulations. David, you came to Rio with a gold and bronze from London and a whole lot of pressure. What does it mean to come out and medal here in the synchro event? Yeah, I, I just think the past week there's just been an enormous amount of pressure and I've felt it. And, um, you know, it's just an identity crisis. When my mind is on this and thinking I'm defined by this, then my mind goes crazy. But we do have to know that our identity is in Christ. And we're just, we're thankful for this opportunity to be able to dive in front of Brazil and front of the United States. And uh, it's been an absolutely thrilling moment for us. You now have gold, silver, and bronze Olympic medals. How much does this free you up for the individual event? It does. It takes a lot of pressure off of me, but um, this this never could have happened without Steele, without him pushing me, without him loving me well, uh, encouraging me, and my wife has just been a solid rock, and uh, I, I couldn't have done it without them. Well, and Steele, for you, your first ever Olympics, first ever Olympic event, how were you able to maintain your composure so well? I think the way David just described it was flawless. The, the fact that I was going into this event knowing that my identity is rooted in Christ and not what the result of this competition is just gave me peace, it gave me ease, and it let me enjoy the contest. If something went great, I was happy. If something didn't go great, I could still find joy because I'm at the Olympics competing with the best person, the best mentor, the, just one of the best people to be around. Um, so God's given us a cool opportunity, and I'm glad I could have come away with an Olympic silver medal in my first ever event. Right, congratulations to you both. Thank you very much. So what's cool about that is they both witness to the fact that their identity is not in themselves, it's not in their work, it's not what they do. They don't have to worry about those things. The pressure in a sense is, I'm sure the pressure was still on, but it was relativized so that they knew who they were and what they were about and they could then glorify God regardless of what happened. We need to be looking up just like Jesus did. Jesus was under a lot of pressure. I don't, he was fully human. We believe that. And so the pressure of his family who tried to drag him away and take him home because they thought he was nuts. I don't know if you've read that, but it's in there. They thought he was out of his mind. The pressure of the religious elite who were trying to teach him to conform and abide by their customs and traditions. The pressure from um, his own disciples and followers who wanted to just have him keep doing miracles and, you know, and follow what the crowd wanted. He had pressures right and left, including the pressures, you talk about pressure, the temptations in the wilderness from Satan himself to change his identity, to change his direction. And it was always, if you are the son of God, and Jesus says, 
No, being the son of God means following what the Father's will is. The only words I have, um, my food is whatever the Father speaks. And again and again, he would not get away from looking up and being connected to his Father. And because Jesus understood his Father's will and always looked up, he then also served in. He served others. Because that was his Father's will, why he was here. He loved his disciples. He called his disciples. As we said, he prayed over his disciples and which ones he would make apostles. He would teach them. He would spend three years with them. This was no seminar for a weekend. This was not a typical nine-to-five apprenticeship. This was not a classroom experience. This was, as we say, 24-7, 365, three years living, eating, breathing, learning, Life on life. He loved them with an everlasting love. I love how in the Gospel of John, again, it says that John 13, 1, when Jesus had come to the culmination, the night he would be betrayed, it says this, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's how he served in. He loved so much, and then he does the unthinkable that night. He takes off his robes. He takes the position of a slave. Only when a slave is forced to do this do slaves do it, and Jesus does it willingly for his disciples. He washes their feet. He serves in. And Jesus also reached out. Now, he had passion for the lost. He said uh, time and again, he looked at the crowds, and it says his guts, the word splankidzomai. Um, it's the word for the splanke are the intestinal tract. I know it's kind of gross, but his guts just ached, it said. He had compassion on the crowds, and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. They were leaderless, and then he served them. And then he looked at his disciples and said, here are five loaves, two fish, right? You feed them. He had compassion, and they fed over 5,000 people, many more than that. He healed. He taught publicly. He went to places no Jewish rabbi would consider going. He went to Tyre. He went to Sidon. He spoke with Samaritan woman at the well. He went, and he pushed himself into Zacchaeus' house. He he touched lepers. He, did, he kept reaching out in one form or another in so many different ways. He wasn't sure what to do, but he kept reaching out. And then he called his disciples to do the same. In Matthew chapter 10, he sent them on a short-term mission trip in a sense. And he said, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely who have received, freely give. So this pattern of Jesus, of up, in, and out, is what he is calling all of us, his disciples, to live as well, up, in, and out. And so our whole sermon series is about this. Our whole sermon series is about living up, living in, and living out, and how we're going to try to live out that pattern we see in the early church, okay? So... We see in this text of Acts 1, we haven't gone into it too much today yet, but in Acts chapter 1, we've seen in this text, if you look at it, how the disciples really looked up. The disciples were to wait for God's power, it says, from on high. You will 
receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what's interesting about this text is the word for power is the word dynamis in Greek. Do you have an idea what dynamis means or what we use for dynamite? Okay, I just dated myself. That was from good times? Good times. Okay. Yeah. 70s or 80s? 70s. 70s. Okay. But anyways, dynamite. Okay. They were to wait for God's power on high. And in fact, if you look at the first, those days after the resurrection were not just idle waiting, twiddling their thumbs. It was actually waiting in the sense it says, and Jesus taught them about the kingdom of God and he kept appearing to them. And so you see, it was a time for teaching, a time for growing, a time for being connected to God and that up. Okay? Christianity, by the way, is different than generic spirituality that you find in most situations these days. When people talk about getting spiritual, often they start to look within themselves. Have you ever noticed? They contemplate and they try to kind of, you know, we don't look inside of ourselves, we look outside of ourselves. We look to we look up, we look to God, we look to his word, we receive from God, from outside of ourselves, the greatest gifts. I love Psalm 25, um, it's one of my favorites, um, and in it, it puts it this way, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. So we look to him, we look up. Your identity, your destiny, your eternity are all in Jesus Christ. Just like David Bodia, Budia, and Steele Johnson said, their identity, their destiny, their direction, their value is in Jesus Christ. We look up. Now, during this whole time, it wasn't just that they looked up and waited. You will notice in this text, they were together in one place. They actually spent time in with each other. I have a feeling Thomas, the disciple, learned his lesson kind of, if you know, um, the first Easter that night, he wasn't there with the rest of the disciples. He missed his encounter with Jesus. A week later, he sees him. But after that, we get this together in one place. They stayed together because Jesus said, you do it together. You're there together. When they received the Holy Spirit, they received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost together. Now, in our hyper-individualistic age, Boy, somehow we just don't grab how spirituality is so important because of our connections with each other. You know, we desire to stay in control and be autonomous and do whatever we want when nobody gets to tell me what to do. And then we try to seek God on our own, in our own little way, and we try to figure out where he is, and then we wonder why we don't feel close to him. Jesus said this, where two or three are gathered in my name, that's where I am. Together, in how we serve one another. You experience God's presence so often through someone else as they speak to you, as they encourage you, as you are cared for, loved for, forgiven, taught, spoken truth. And finally, we see that the disciples also reached out. At the end of 
Acts 1, the last verse, Jesus says, and you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Isn't that cool? So he starts out right where they were in Jerusalem to the people that would, their family, their friends, their co-workers, the people who live next to them. And then he says to Judea, which is just uh, geographic proximity, people who are extremely similar to you. And then to Samaria, which they had different cultural differences, but still close by. And then finally to the ends of the earth, but they were to reach out. And it was amazing how you see this in the book of Acts and how it developed. Okay? Here's how the early church then lived this out. And this is the passage we're going to keep coming back to and just kind of let simmer over these eight weeks. It's Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And what we see in this text is they were living up, in, and out. Awe was upon them. They were praising God in the temple courts. They were receiving um, the apostles' teaching. They lived in. They, with glad and sincere hearts, they gave of themselves. They sacrificed what they had for the sake of others. Anybody who had a need, they, they took care of it. And they had wonderful potlucks, I have a feeling. <laughs> Fellowship or something in the homes, you know? And then they reached out. They had the favor of all the people and God was adding to their numbers daily. Now, I don't think Luke, in this Second part of the gospel, really, as Jesus continues to do and to teach now through his disciples, he's not just sharing this because it's a historical footnote. This is how the church began. He's really telling us this is how the church is. This is who we get to be. This is how we can live. And that's what our home huddles are so important about. Because if you notice in that uh, text in Acts 2, they didn't just hang out for an hour at the temples once a week and expect everything to happen there. Sunday mornings, I wish, I, I mean, we do put a lot of time and effort into it. We've got some amazing, talented people, good worship, all this stuff. But this isn't the heart of Thrive Community Church or any Christian church. It's not the entertainment factor. I'm sorry. Maybe there are churches like that, but that is not discipleship. Discipleship is going to happen more. Our discipleship engine that's going to happen, that makes a difference for me, for you, happens all week long, life-on-life interactions and in groups like our home huddles and what we're going to try to do. So in these coming weeks, after we look up today and get kind of that going on, we're going to also start looking at next week, we'll be filling up in Ephesians chapter 5. And then the week after that, offering up Romans chapter 12, which is all about worship. And then growing up into God's word in 2 Timothy 3, and then playing it up. As we see in Acts 2, they just had a great time together. We're going to learn what it means to just enjoy each other's company and to give it up 
as in 2 Corinthians 8, where they see how Jesus, though he was rich, became poor for our sake, and how we follow him. And then praying it up, as in 1 Thessalonians 5, and finally speaking up, as in Romans chapter 10. All of these things that you see in the Acts 2 church. And all the while, we're asking two questions. Two simple questions. What is God inviting me to learn? And what am I going to do about it? Now, at this moment, you might be thinking, okay, so John, you just said, a disciple does what Jesus did and teaches what Jesus taught. Well, what kind of a disciple am I? I don't do that. I don't teach that. I'm a mess. Well, join the club. Seriously, we're all a mess. We're all broken. We're all sinful. You know what's great about who Jesus welcomed into his disciples? He had a zealot who had his own agenda of how things were supposed to be done. He had tax collectors who were considered the outsiders. He had Peter who would put his foot in his mouth any time he opened it. And there were fights among the disciples. Who's the greatest among us? Sounds like a kindergarten game, you know? Um, It's just amazing. They were a mess, and they were without a clue. They kept messing up and bungling along. They're the keystone cops, okay? They really are. Now, I know that I really dated myself. (laughs) I only saw them in reruns, seriously, okay? So, And Jesus still invited them, and he still called them, and he still wanted them. You see, it's not just what Jesus did so we have to follow along. He's not just a model. This is what Jesus did for you, for his disciples then and his disciples now. He lived up, he served in, he reached out for your sake. He took your place. He did what you couldn't do. He does it perfectly. He accomplishes it all. And then for the reward for doing perfectly the law of God, he gets crucified for it and dies for our sins. And upon the cross, he is still reaching up to his Father and commending his spirit into his hands. He is still reaching in or serving in and finds another um, person to take care, John, to take care of his mother. And he reaches out and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He does all that for you, and that doesn't stop. The only reason we can do any of this at all, even a close proximity, is not because we have to do it or we should do it, but because he has done it all for us, and therefore we get to do this. This is how we get to live. Now, um, we're asking, big ask, for the next eight weeks or so, for you to consider just trying it out. One week at a time, try it out. Being what that Acts 2 church could be. Now, you got a choice. I mean, church on Sunday, we're not going to turn anybody away, that's for sure. You know, no church. I don't think too many churches say, ah, you can't come in. You know, we love everyone who's here. And we're going to welcome everybody every Sunday to anything that we do. I'm just calling you to a deeper level, I think. A deeper level of what God has for you and his plans for you. Do you really just want to be kind of like a lot of churches that are kind of shallow? 
I'm sorry, I've been at them. I've probably been the pastor of too many churches that were shallow. And I probably didn't help matters because I basically said, ah, you show up once or twice a month. You put a couple bucks in the collection plate. You're a great member. We're happy with you. And that's what the life is. No, it's not the life, the live it up life. You get a chance to be God's ambassadors, God's servants. You get to be those who do what Jesus did and teach what Jesus taught and have the deepest meaning and purpose and mission in life anybody could have in this chaotic, crazy, mixed-up world, using broken people who are a mess and still working through them to heal and to care and to love and to serve. So... We have a number of home huddles. I think it's out on one of the display areas. Um, it might actually be out by the Thrive Kids area. We've got a home huddle starting Sunday night, tonight at the Gomez house, right over here, okay? Uh, and uh, we're thrilled with them jumping into this. We've got on Monday night, uh, Guy Lombardo, who's um, traveling right now in the preserve, 7 o'clock. Tuesday night, there are two. Vicki Johnston runs a women's Bible study at 7. And we have um, the Griskies who are having one at Spanish Wells on Bonita Beach Road. Okay? Wednesday night, um, Lisa and I are hosting. And Thursday night, Otto and Laurel in Gateway. And if any of those times don't work or those locations don't work, maybe God's calling you to join in and starting another one. We've got the material. It's not rocket science. And this is the point. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Okay? He calls people like Peter and James and John, who in the Gospels were kind of a mess. And he calls you and me. You see, it's called Acts of the Apostles, according to the way that we understand it. But I think that's the wrong, it's not the way Luke described it. He's really saying it's the continuing acts of the resurrected Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. But that title's a little long. So we'll just go with Acts. But that's what's really going on. It's God's continuing work through you and me, whoever we are. He takes the people who are available and then qualifies them, empowers them, equips them, and uses them for his kingdom. Up, in, and out. That's what we're about. And I believe that's what God's calling us to. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for sending Jesus to be the one who reconnects us to you who deeply served us without limit to the point of dying on the cross and who keeps reaching out to us, forgiving us, renewing us, restoring us, healing us. And the fact that you would privilege us, honor us by using us, we are amazed. So bless, Lord, both our home huddles and ourselves. Um, help us, Lord. We're kind of scared. We're kind of not sure how it's going to work. Um, but we just pray that you just develop our relationships and teach us how to take it one step at a time and to trust you. So we lift our lives and ourselves to you this day in Jesus' name. Amen.